The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Coming up on the program today, hey, we care about our water here in Michigan. We are the stewards of the Great Lakes. So why is Wisconsin trying to screw everything up? Well, not entirely, but this Foxconn deal that they did is looking worse and worse. And that includes a massive diversion of water outside the Great Lakes Basin. That's usually a no-no under the Great Lakes Compact. Joining me today will be my friend Anna Clark, talk about this. She's got an op-ed piece in today's Washington Post that is worth a read. Stick around for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, this is Craig. Thanks for checking out the show on this Thursday. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the Great Lakes today. Actually, a lot about the Great Lakes. My guest is Anna Clark. You may know her from her book, The Poison City, Flint's Water and the American Urban Tragedy. She got a lot of attention for that over the last couple of years, deservedly so, taking a deep dive into what happened to Flint's water supply there. Well, she also has been a writer for a number of publications for many years. She worked for Columbia Journalism Review, and today she's got a post in the Washington Post, uh, a an op-ed in the Washington Post today called Why Should Wisconsin Drain Lake Michigan for Foxconn? That's the headline. But what we're talking about is this Foxconn deal in Wisconsin. We've already discussed it on this program, talking about this as just being an egregious example of corporate welfare and a state bending over backwards uh, for a project that did not live up to its original billing. Well, Foxconn, of course, looking to take as much as 7 million gallons of water out of Lake Michigan, even though they are outside of the Great Lakes Basin. Typically, water diversions are not allowed outside of the Great Lakes Basin. So how did this happen? Well, joining me right now again is Anna Clark. Anna, welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. It's always a pleasure. It is an honor. Thanks for having me. Well, I think you overstate what honor is, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, I just appreciate you being here today. I I read your piece in the Washington Post today, and I thought it was an important discussion. And and for those uh, people that actually listen to this program, they know that Foxconn has been something I've touched on, but more on the aspect of of sort of the... uh, uh, corporate uh, welfare system as opposed to this. But this is a real concern here because this is the first time that the Great Lakes Compact has really been tested in this way. Uh, but I thought we should start by talking a little bit about the Great Lakes Compact, what it is, frankly, and what it's supposed to do. Uh, most people don't realize this, but you know these states have the ability to say who can and cannot withdraw water from the Great Lakes uh, watershed. Right, right. So the Great Lakes Compact is really interesting. It's it's about 10 years old, and it's basically the rules for who gets to use Great Lakes water. Um, and as you might imagine, all eight states that border the Great Lakes are part of it. And there's a parallel agreement for um, 
the Canadian provinces that uh, that border it as well. And what it is, it's supposed to de- define a protocol for who gets to take water from the Great Lakes outside the basin, you know, outside the natural drainage area where the water would flow right back and replenish the Great Lakes, you know. Um, and it's uh, and, it, and what it basically says is almost never. <laughs> the formation of the Great Lakes Compact was developed because uh, people really got spooked by some, you know, relatively serious efforts to, uh, for example, bottle water from Lake Superior and send it sell it on an Asian cruise ship or a presidential candidate had talked about piping water from the Great Lakes to the Southwest and people did not like this. So they, they so they developed the compact to say um, the ecosystem's important, public health's important, here are all our defining interests, uh, the wa- using the water for the economy is important, but basically saying we need to, we need to take care of the water and monitor who takes care of the water for long into, into the future. And so basically almost no one is allowed to take water outside the basin, but there are a few de- carefully defined exceptions for communities that are partly in the basin and partly outside it where the border literally goes right in the middle of uh, town. Um, and uh, if that happens and, and that community wants water, there's certain, you know, uh, there's some vetting that needs to go through uh, for that to be approved. Sure. Um, anyway, there's uh, so what's what's happening though is that with Wisconsin's becoming a real um, kind of battleground for the details of the compact for for how it actually works. That's partly because the basin line it runs real close to Lake Michigan in the most populous part of the state of Wisconsin. So um, that's and that's part of what motivated this uh, this piece. Well, you know, I want people to get a, a sense as to how difficult it is to, to get around the compact. Uh, one of the examples that you put in your story today is the city of Waukesha. They had a problem with the, their groundwater being naturally contaminated. They needed access to a clean water system, but it took them seven years to get approval to draw water from the Great Lakes Basin. This is not something that these states take lightly. I know Michigan has a, a little bit more authority than some other states because of our proximity to, you know, uh, three of uh, four of the lakes. Uh, it took them a long time. And, and Waukesha was a big deal to get that done. They needed it. This is a little different situation for the city of Racine, which did this. Right. This and it, and this is it, it's meant to be difficult. It's purposefully difficult because taking water out of the Great Lakes, out of the natural watershed, is supposed to be a last resort. Um, and for the city of Waukesha, it's a suburb of Milwaukee. It's outside the basin, but in a straddling county. You know, a county that's partly in the basin and partly outside it. They had had uh, contaminated groundwater for a very long time, naturally occurring radium because they're digging ever deeper to get enough water. They were under like core order, EPA order, uh, to find an alternative water source. And so they um, applied through the Great Lakes Compact for some of the water from Lake Michigan, which according to compact standards, they would, you know, treat and replace as much as they could, you know, they would, um, you know, follow a number of standards. And, um, and it was heavily, heavily scrutinized by all the parties to the compact, as well as the public. There's a number of public hearings that were part of this. There was a legal challenge, and eventually, after seven years, um, its uh, application was accepted and they had access to this water. Um, What's interesting about the Foxconn story um, is that it has nothing to do with public health. It has nothing to do with a residential drinking water supply, really. Um, It's basically a, a major 
manufacturer that um, wanted access to the water for its new plant. And, um, but instead of, and, and they were building it outside the basin, um, but instead of, you know, that the community where it's housed, uh, applying like Waukesha through the Great Lakes Compact System, they found, it seems like they found kind of a loophole where they got like a neighboring city that is in the watershed to just sort of build out to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah, the city that's the city that's in the watershed doesn't have to apply for the compact because they're inside it. Um, but they're just, you know, quote unquote, expanding their water system to service this like major utility. The net effect means um, where uh, the state of Wisconsin has given permission without the public vetting that happened with Waukesha for uh, a, a huge amount of water to be taken from Lake Michigan uh, to benefit one industrial customer. Well, and we're talking a significant amount, too. And I, just to give people a little background here, the city that uh, this Foxconn plant, which already got $4 billion in incentives from the state of Wisconsin to locate there, they're going to uh, they're in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, um, which is outside of the watershed. But Racine is inside the watershed. So Racine just expanded their territory to include Mount Pleasant, which allowed them to sort of get around this rule and this vetting process, frankly. But we're not talking, again, about a small amount of water. We're seven million gallons a day, something like that. Right. Yeah. That the, the permit is for seven million gallons a day. Foxconn, you know, was saying that like they would treat and return, you know, a portion of that, um, which is, I guess, good <laughs> if we're going to do this at all. But but it's um, but there's a number of, of alarm bells, you know, that kind of come up here. Is like one is that you know the compact is uh, not meant to um, be uh, a, a way to provide water as um, an economic development tool to bring in new private enterprise. Um, it's meant to serve public utilities, primarily residential co customers, um, of which, you know, private companies are part of that system as well. But this is like a unique thing. Um, uh, the water there, uh, this Foxconn would be taking at maximum amount would be about 70% of the entire community's water supply. It'd be a huge amount. Um, and we're also talking about just setting precedent here, right? You know, like when is it okay to kind of bend the rules of, of the compact? Um, I think if we're going to be a strong line of defense for the Great Lakes long into the future, um, it is especially important to have a, have a, have in place a good foundation now before the problems with water scarcity and climate change um, get ever, ever worse. Well, and, and you know, let's let's talk about Foxconn for just a second. I mean, this is a company that already is being accused of of doing a bait and switch. Uh, they originally were going to bring thousands of manufacturing jobs, but now it's going to be mostly engineering talent. The scope of the project is much smaller than it was going to be, but the incentives have not been scaled back. And certainly their water use is going to be drastically reduced, according to some interviews you did for this piece. Um, not 7 million gallons a day is projected, but more like 1.3, which is still not insignificant, but it's nowhere near. But they have not looked to scale back their request for how much they're going to be eligible for. Do we know why they have been unwilling to do so? Right. This is, so this is this is really uh, you know significant because Wisconsin gave four billion dollars in incentive to lure this like major manufacturer to town. There's and of course those of us in Michigan can really empathize with the reasons why they might might want what was then promised as thirteen thousand jobs originally, um, and um, they have since significantly scaled back their um, 
um, their operations, uh, even even after they've already, you know, um, had a strong effect on the neighborhood around it. They've already there's all kinds of, you know, houses already demolished, things like that. Far less jobs are going to be provided. While the state did have a few um, mechanisms in place so that some of the tax benefits wouldn't go to Foxconn if they didn't meet certain job targets. They didn't do anything similar with the water. So there's still this permit for the city of Racine to deliver $7 billion, or excuse me, 7 million gallons of water a day um, uh, to this like private enterprise. There's no way that in their smaller scale they're going to need that yet, but the permission slip's still there. And what some people suspect, some people who, who um, made an effort to uh, challenge uh, the uh, diversion in court suspect is that this is sort of meant to use, well, even if Fox, it meant to use to bring in other private development. So like not, um, if not Foxconn, then others, you know, they're kind of like banking water rights to s send outside the basin, um, not even for the company that was promising all these jobs, but for anybody they can get. Right. You know, like it's just it's just meant as a tool. And again, this is not what the Great Lakes Compact is meant to do. It's not to be meant to be um, a, a way to, um, I don't know, like market your town or your region for um, for other industries. It's meant to uh, protect the Great Lakes long into the future. And it's meant to um uh, uh, keep the water in the basin with the only exceptions basically being if there's like a real urgent public health need and, you know, certain conservation standards met. And this whole thing was kind of a, a, a workaround um, to uh, not have to bear the scrutiny while still getting the benefits of the water. I should remind folks, my guest right now is Anna Clark. You, of course, have uh, heard her on this program before. She's the author of The Poison City, Flint's Water, and the American Urban Tragedy. She's written a piece for today's Washington Post taking a look at Foxconn's planned diversion of millions of gallons of Lake Michigan water uh, each and every day that may, again, be sort of a, a way to skirt some of the spirit of the Great Lakes Compact. Uh, Anna, you point out that Wisconsin, this is not the first time they've done something like this. Uh, Wisconsin, for some reason, we think of Wisconsin as being this wonderful neighborly state, but as far as the Great Lakes Compact is concerned, they have been sort of flouting this, and, and they've tried this before. Right. This is, uh, and this is, this is tricky. I mean, I, I do have some empathy for the position Wisconsin is in, because there, there are communities that are basically within sight of Lake Michigan, but are outside the basin. So it is frustrating for those communities, um, which tend to be the growing communities in Wisconsin, like between Milwaukee and Chicago. Um, it's, it's frustrating for them to not be able to access that water. And I, I, I can get that. I can get that. That's like, that's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> um, but 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 that geologic boundary matters that um that subcontinental divide matters right you know for the long-term care of these great lakes and um and which is why it, it's troubling that um that uh some of these communities are kind of trying to meet short-term needs um instead there so there's the case of uh this uh foxconn plant um but there's also the case of uh, a, a village called pleasant excuse me pleasant prairie it's only about uh 20 minutes away from this foxconn site and um it had 
um, because it had some of the same problems with water as Waukesha did, it, it, it started getting water from uh, Lake Michigan, though it's outside the basin, beginning in the 1990s. Um, and when the Great Lakes Compact was being developed, the people were going to sort of like grandfather in the people who already, the communities that already had diversions, right? You know, they were just, they were just getting people to report the amounts that were taken so they could kind of like keep, you know, keep track of it all to make sure there isn't a net cumulative disastrous effect. And when uh, you know, Pleasant Prairie kind of logged in with how much it had with the help of the state, it um, essentially tripled the amount of uh, water it was going to um, use. You know, it, it sort of, it, it said that um, it, it very quietly um, uh, added a great amount of water to the amount that it's uh, willing and able to take out of Lake Michigan. It's far more than the actual community uses to this very day <laughs> but uh it's kind of you know as as suspected with uh you know racine it's sort of suspected as a way to um lure in private development saying like hey we're gonna provide you with all this like you know beautiful lake michigan water um it's sort of they're sort of banking it as a uh as a way to um Again, I think kind of get around the compact standards. Uh, this, just to give credit to, that was like first revealed in the new edition of a book by Peter Annan called The Great Lakes Water Wars. Really good book. And it came out in a new edition in November. Um, and uh, he, in going over like a lot of the documents and how the compact has um, uh, been implemented, I guess, over the last 10 years, he seems to be the very first to have noticed this uh, sort of quiet move of a Wisconsin community uh, taking, tripling its share of Lake Michigan water uh, to use outside the natural basin. Uh, you know, well, this was, you know, Scott Walker's parting gift uh, to Wisconsin, uh, landing this Foxconn plant, depending on how you want to look at it. But this is something he lobbied for. Uh, of course, there's a new governor in Wisconsin, Tony Evers, who's a Democrat, first Democratic governor there in a little bit. Uh, any indication uh, that this is something that they are going to be watching a little bit more carefully, or or do we not really know what Wisconsin's approach to this is going to be? I do think there is, it is a little murky right now. I mean, I think Wisconsin, like Michigan, had water high on its mind, you know, in the last election. I think that informed a lot of voters' choices. Uh, the Foxconn deal... Um, for a variety of reasons, not even just related to water, had some controversy attached to it, and some people do attribute it to Scott Walker's loss in the last election. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think people in Wisconsin are um, acutely aware of the urgency of uh, water policy, uh, just like us in Michigan. You know, we know how essential it is to uh, to our way of life, um, and feel both. You know feel the blessing and the responsibility of these Great Lakes, you know, like on our shoulders, you know, I think people in Wisconsin really do care about it. Um, but, but I don't know, I guess it remains to be seen. Like I mentioned, there was like uh, some environmental advocates, uh, uh, mostly in Wisconsin, who came together to file a lawsuit challenging this diversion to the Foxconn plant for a variety of reasons, including saying that it was a violation of the compact standards of holding the water as a public trust. Uh, they, a, a, a judge, um, denied that, um, you know, ruled against them. And they considered uh, appealing it. But according to the person I spoke with, who is uh, part of this coalition, she was saying that the, one of the reasons they didn't want to appeal it was because they didn't, uh, they didn't, they didn't have confidence that if it went before the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court, eventually, it was not, it would, it would be, it would come out in their favor. And they feared uh, establishing a firmer precedent uh, than um, 
for, for, for being able to take, you know, a lot of water out of the Great Lakes, you know, um, uh, so they, so they, so they opted out. And so that made me a little, um, made me a little sad because it seems like there, are uh, there are a lot of folks with decision-making power who, um, don't yet see the connectedness and the urgency of this kind of water policy. Uh, Anna Clark, my guest, once again, she's got a piece in today's Washington Post taking a look at Foxconn's planned diversion of uh, up to 7 million gallons of water from Lake Michigan each day outside of the Great Lakes watershed, uh, which is supposed to be a no-no, according to the Great Lakes Compact. That's one way to put it. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm a, you know, I like understatement. Um, so it's and, true. And, <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, like it's, I mean this, it sounds really wonky, this compact stuff, but it's, it, I mean, it, it I think people do get it on an innate level, right? You know, like it's, we don't want to ruin these waters. Well, and, <laughs> not, and not for our others, sake, but for generations after us. But others around the country will look at it like we don't want to share. Um, and and yeah. this is, I mean, we have these ideas that come up all the time. Well, you know, hey, Arizona needs water. We'll just truck it down from the Great Lakes. We've heard <laughs> cockamamie ideas like this over the years. Uh, are you concerned that the door has been cracked in a way that is going to allow for larger scale diversions than anybody in the compact would like to see? I think, I think like, I think some of these little battlegrounds in Wisconsin are revealing the loopholes in the compact. I think there is an opportunity to respond by refining the compact, by making it stronger. The architects of the compact have always talked about how they expected, um, you know, uh, legal action to help them fine tune it. <laughs> um, and if they really do, you know, take that seriously and act on it, I think that could be great. You know, we could then make a strong water policy better. What I do fear, um, and I think a lot of people share this idea, is again, just thinking about precedent. I mean, this particular case with Foxconn, I think, is very um, frustrating for a great many reasons. Um, Many will point out that even though it sounds like a lot of water, 7 million gallons a day, even if they weren't replacing any of it, it's not going to by itself, you know, um, empty out the Great Lakes. But the point is to be considering the cumulative impact of diversions. And it's also important to understand the precedent we're setting, because if we're saying this is the rule, this is okay, you can take all this water out of the um, Great Lakes Basin for... um, for uh, a private enterprise, whether or not you come through on the jobs you promised and the scope you um, told us about, uh, then that does open the door for others to do the same thing. And I think that um, that does trouble me because I, I think it's 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 basically sort of like springing a leak <laughs> in the in, in in the basin boundary. Um, and I and I think we've already we already have a lot of diversions. The largest by far is the city of Chicago. Sure. Like they have for like a hundred years run their Chicago River in reverse. So instead of replenishing Lake Michigan, they're feeding it all the way down to the Mississippi River basin. That's because of um, they're polluting it so much. And rather than stopping pollution, they just reverse the river away from their drinking water supply. That has been, that takes like, I think 2 billion gallon dollars or 2 billion uh, uh, gallons a day out of the Great Lakes, none replenished. Um, A lot of people point to Chicago as like such a, such a, you know, like kind of the, the villainous outlier, you know, um, that gets to use all that water in the way it wanted and doesn't have to change anything while the rest of us have to follow these rules. But it has been held up by the Supreme Court throughout the 20th century. And the, and the, and the important thing now is to 
just you know just get the get get the rest of our house in order right um, and to make sure that we're we've got a structure in place to protect the Great Lakes for their own ecological well-being as well as the well-being of all of those of us who live here and love the waters and for all those who come after us and yes you know we want to use the water to support our economy as well the whole blue economy thing that's great but just like i mean if fox kind of moved its plant even like i think it was just 2000 feet you know to the east it would have been in the basin why didn't they just do that why didn't wisconsin make them do that I think they wanted to kind of spring a little bit this leak so they could they could uh, uh, have a lot more private development in this particular part of well, their uh, community. It's entirely possible. Well, Anna, we're going to have to leave it right there. I certainly do appreciate your time today, and thanks for bringing people's attention to this. I think it's important. Uh, between this and Flint, it seems like you have a new beat now. You're going to be all water all the time. <laughs> well, I, I mean, when you come to, when you think about it, water <laughs> is literally everything. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, Anna, we certainly appreciate the work that you do, and uh, we always love it when you're on the program. We'll have you back, okay? Thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Anna Clark. She's the author of The Poison City, Flint's Water and the American Urban Tragedy. Her op-ed in today's Washington Post is entitled, Why Should Wisconsin Drain Lake Michigan for Foxconn? We always appreciate her being here. And I always appreciate you listening. Thanks very much. Give me your feedback. Send me an email to thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, Snapchat, a couple others probably, I guess, maybe. Anyway, reach out. Let me know what you want me to talk about. And for those of you who've been listening, I really do appreciate it. Hey, big shout out to Model D Media today. Model D having a post saying this is one of the Detroit podcasts you should be checking out. And that was very nice of them to include me on that one. I certainly do appreciate it. Hey, tomorrow... Must watch, must listen. It is the week that was on Deadline Detroit. Alan Langell and Nancy Derringer will be back to break down the week in the news. And once again, we have plenty to talk about. So look for that. We'll live stream it at about 1130 on my Facebook page or maybe on YouTube tomorrow. I'm going to see which one I can make work and which one gives me the best quality. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But of course, it will be up as a podcast a little bit later on in the day. So if you are bored on a Friday at work and you've got your computer on, you're on Facebook anyway. Or you're on YouTube probably watching something while you're supposed to be working. Slide on over. It takes about a half an hour. It's always a lot of fun. Some good analysis. A little bit of humor mixed in. We enjoy doing it for you. So look for that tomorrow, and I will see you then. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy this gorgeous weather. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D. Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats the Detroit, and Detroit, Detroit Public Theater. Detroit Shakespeare in Detroit. 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 Detroit.
If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's art and entertainment scene.